0: remain standing for a second. I'd like just to continue this time, but I'd like you to just bow your heads and just take some time between you and God this morning. I'd really like you to ask him to prepare your heart for this message and to open your mind and your ears. Would you just do that right now? in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Greg, uh, would you give Greg thanks for just leading worship this morning? I, I really appreciate him doing that. 80, 90 people doing VBS. How many are like, "Oh, I can't wait till tomorrow morning I get to go out and do VBS." All right. Seven of you. That's good. Well, it was 1979 and I received a call that my dad was dying it's a great way to start a message isn't it my dad was dying in Dallas Texas and I was in Colorado with my wife and two kids we were starting a business in Colorado and I get this phone call my kids barely knew their grandfather my youngest did not know him and I hadn't seen him in a couple years my dad in a couple years he had colon cancer and he was always a, a healthy, athletic guy. He was 64 years old. He had a degree in economics. He was brilliant. And I didn't want to go. But I did. I hopped on a plane. I got down to Dallas, Texas. And I get to my sister's house where they brought him out of the hospital. and brought, They took him there. And I get there and my sister stops me and she says, don't go in and see him yet. And I went, what? And she goes, you're not going to recognize him. And I went, it's my dad, you know. She said, okay, we'll just go in slowly. And so I went in, and I saw this man that uh, was always healthy, weighed about 190 pounds usually, and he would weigh about 95 pounds. And I got sick to my stomach and I ran out and I just was like I literally got sick and I went out and I almost passed out and my sister and my brother who was there came and calmed me down and said it's okay it's okay so we went in I went in again and I sat down and I couldn't put my dad's face on this body I couldn't see him there it didn't He was unrecognizable my sister took his hand and put it in mine and I felt a little bit of a squeeze but not the squeeze of the man that I always knew he couldn't speak at all he was able to move one hand just a little bit every breath that he took was a strain every breath that he took was a strain like is he gonna take another my mom would lean over and whisper into his ear my sister would moistened his lips with a swab. Hours passed. And after about midnight, my sisters, two sisters and a brother and my mom, were going to go to bed. And I said, look, I'll stay up with him and I'll be fine. And something happened that was totally out of the ordinary for our family. My mom took a Bible and she gave it to me. And she said, here, read this to him. And I went, I haven't held a Bible in 20 years since I was in a Methodist church back in Wisconsin. Yes, they do have them in Methodist churches. Yeah, he used to. Yes, she used to. Careful. She asked me to read to him out of, out of the Bible. And, and I remember I picked up the Bible and I said, okay, there's only one thing I know, and that's Psalm 23. So I went to the 23rd Psalm and it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, blah, 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 blah. And I read it, and they all went to bed, and I read it three or four times. And after about the fourth time, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go on and keep reading. So I read Psalm 24, and Psalm 25, and Psalm 26, 27, 28, 29. And I got to it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I got to Psalm 127. And admittedly, a lot of the, what I read, I was just reading. I really didn't pay much attention to what I was reading. And uh, I got to Psalm 127, and it said, "...unless the Lord builds the house, its builder labors in vain." Okay, I'm not sure what that meant, but I understood kind of what that meant. And then verse 3 said, "...sons are a heritage from the Lord." children a a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them I stopped I got that and I said are you kidding me my dad had six sons and five daughters this is blessed are you kidding And I just looked up and I went, how can this be a blessed event? How big a quiver should he have? How many arrows should he have for him to be blessed? I closed the book. I leaned over to say something to him. Dad, I don't know if you can hear me, but you need to know that Sarah and the kids and I love you. I sat back, and a tear rolled down his cheek. There had been no response to anything that any of us had made at all in the last 12 hours. A tear, just one. I had never seen my dad cry. But I will remember that tear for the rest of my life. He took one final breath, and he died. Well, a few days later, I know this is a great story, isn't it? A few days later, a couple of my brother, other brothers flew into Dallas, and we were sitting in my sister's living room, and we sat in a circle, and uh, a chaplain arrived. And this chaplain started talking to us, and he had met with my dad in the hospital about a month ago, and he had been talking, and he said, we had great conversations, I totally understood that. My dad was a talker, and he was brilliant. So he had great conversations with my dad. Then he made a statement that I just totally blew off at the time. He said, your dad accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior three weeks ago. What was that supposed to mean? I had no idea what that meant. We all knew who Jesus was. You know, we had been to Sunday school, and, and so we knew who he was, and But what did it mean to accept him as Lord and Savior? I figured this was just (laughs) chaplainese. You know what that is, right? Chaplainese, I just made that word up. (laughs) After a couple days, I returned to Colorado. And I I told most of what happened to Sarah, as well as I could remember. But it was a very surreal experience, as a lot of you have gone through this. Uh, No. I never cried or felt any strong emotions, I was just numb. I never thought of Dad being better off. I never thought of him not suffering anymore. So Those thoughts never entered my mind. It was more just go on with life, and perhaps this last weekend never happened. That was in December of 79. Six months later, through different ways that Jesus Christ and God works in our lives, my wife and I came forward at a Southern Baptist Revival meeting and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior since that time my mom eight of my siblings over 30 of his grandchildren and over 35 of his great-grandchildren are living for Jesus Christ they're in the mission field they're doing Bible studies and they're all looking yeah <clears throat> there is an ex- there is an excitement in our family of seeing my dad again. My stance for Christ has not wavered. I've had struggles, and I still do. However, the miracles I've witnessed and the lives lives I've seen changed, and the steadfast grace I've seen through him have changed Sarah and I, and we will stand for him for the rest of our lives. Okay, that's a little bit of my testimony. Now for the sermon. I've got this down to 45 minutes, so just relax. <clears throat> come from a Baptist background. So you know, what do you do? it? How many of you have heard the term... Is it warm in here? Yeah. Holy cow. You think you're warm. How many of you have heard the term Sunday Christians? Yeah, I think we all, just about all have. I, I've been in the ministry about 30 years, and I've often heard that phrase, Sunday Christians. But the more I think about it, <clears throat> the more I've convinced that those people don't really exist. It's true that some go to church on Sunday, dutifully carry their Bibles, and they pay their tithes, but then they leave here, and there's no fruit. So so I don't believe there's such a thing as a Sunday Christian. There are people who go to church on Sunday who say they're Christians, but there's no fruit. They're usually the complainers and not the servers. I believe that when Christ takes over our life, it's a total makeover. It's not just for one day. It's forever. I want to talk about someone that I feel was not a Sunday Christian. Don't get me wrong. He had his problems. This is a man that struggled had a lot of problems, but never a Sunday Christian. He is a man that scholars would call the knucklehead of the disciples. Right? Okay. Um, He's probably, besides Jesus, my favorite character in the Bible. It's a man that no matter what happened, he would jump in and want to work hard for the favor of Christ, only to find out later in life, he didn't have to work at all. The favor was given to him at the cross. And that man is Peter. I see Peter as a guy that's kind of like the guy in that Staples commercial that goes says, wow, what a great price. You know, you know that commercial? Wow. I can see Peter going, wow, what a great miracle. Turning the water in the wine, wow, what a great miracle. Feeding 5,000, wow, what a great miracle. And Andrew going, yeah, I know, right? That's, that's who I see Peter. I see he's a guy that was smitten, was Jesus. He was just smitten. He wanted to help him with everything. Whatever Jesus said, Peter would be there with a comment or a question. He was like a little boy who wanted to jump on a bike without ever seeing one, and with, with no training wheels, and he would just keep falling over, getting scraped up, But the thing I loved about Peter, he would always keep getting up, no matter how far he fell. I'd like to take your Bibles and open to Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, and you can follow along. If you'd stand as we read this this morning. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples go into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. and caught him you have little faith he said why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat the wind died you may be seated now when you hear about these passages you and i'm sure you've heard a message on this before one of the things about preaching every three months is you don't do a series so you've got all these thoughts that come into your head and so you want to kind of get rid- throw them all at you. I promise I won't do that. But when you hear about these passages, I usually talk about overcoming the storms of life. Well, I'm going to go in a little different direction here with Peter. Try and stay with me. If you go back one verse to verse 21, it says that Jesus is on the shore of Galilee. It is late in the day, and Jesus has just performed a great miracle of feeding the 5,000 with loaves and two fish. And Matthew says, tells a story that immediately, by the way, immediately is used three times in these verses. So it's not like after a while. It's immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up the mountainside by himself to pray. As the disciples began to sail across the lake, an enormous storm comes up from the way the Gospels tell this. And this this is in Mark and John also but only in Matthew does it talk about Peter after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside and the storm began around 8 o'clock and continued all night and in Mark it says the disciples are in the boat straining against the wind and the rain so it's 9 o'clock 10 o'clock 11 o'clock 12 o'clock 1 o'clock 2 o'clock and it says in verse 25 during the fourth hour the fourth watch of the night Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And it's believed the fourth watch occurred sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. is when Jesus went out there. They've been rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere. And they can't seem to make it to shore. And every muscle ached. They were mad. They were, the wind was howling. It was being pelted by rain. And they were getting hit from every angle. And verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. How many of you have ever been terrified? How many have like almost gotten into an accident? Just like, uh, Doesn't that just like suck it out of you? I can imagine they saw Jesus walking on the lake and they didn't say, It's a ghost. I think they screamed. I think they were scared. I, it says they were terrified. It's a ghost! I don't think they said, Whoa, here comes Jesus walking on the water. I think he'll help us row. I think they were terrified. And the Bible says that. Now, I also think I'd be one of those guys that say, it's a ghost. Shut up and let's keep rowing. But Jesus immediately said to them, immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I kind of pondered how he said that. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So he could be heard over the storm. Or if he said, take courage, it is I. then it just cut right through. And they heard him. Now take note of what he said here, because when he said, it is I, we hear um, an expression that the disciples would have totally recognized. Because... It, didn't, it says, it is I in the English. But they heard it says, I am. They knew it was, that he was related to the God of Abraham, who in the Old Testament saved, saved people many times. Wow! That's a great miracle! did you see Peter? Holy cow! Thomas goes, yeah, right. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Can you hear the others? What are you, crazy? <laughs> Peter, you'll drown. That's nuts. Now at this point, Peter's not being impetuous. It's not if, his, if he jumps into the water. is very clear that Peter asked permission. If Jesus says no, Peter stays in, Peter stays in the boat. But Jesus didn't say no. He said, come. And when Jesus says come, we better come. When he says walk, we better walk. And probably in Peter's case, it was better to get out of the boat, onto the water than stay in it. How often do we do something without asking permission? Unless the Lord builds the house. He who builds it, builds it in vain. We need to be obedient and ask God to be with us before we jump into things. Not when we're in the middle. Before we jump into things that could drown us. A lot of times a church will say, well, that's, let's go do this project. And they don't pray about it. A lot of times you'll go say, well, this is what we should do. But you don't pray about it. Ask permission. Peter would not have gotten out of the boat if Jesus hadn't said, come. Come, Jesus said. But perhaps Peter looked at the others and said, hey, guys, come on. Come on, we can go on the water. And uh, Matthew and John and Bartholomew and Andrew go, no. And by the way, no in Greek is no. I asked the Greek expert over there. (laughs) Then Peter got on a boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. I read a lot of commentaries on this, and some were very negative to what Peter did. They thought they called him impulsive and headstrong. Some even suggested that Peter thought he was better than others. I believe that's just me. There was a pastor I knew that every time it was his idea, he would step down. I believe that those commentators were commentators that would never have gotten out of the boat. That's just me. Now, everything goes fine until Peter notices the storm all around him. Now, the, remember, the storm has not stopped. The storm was still going. The storm was was coming down. The rain was was hitting them. The boat was bobbing up and down in the back. And Matthew tells us that when he saw the wind he was afraid. But the wind was there all along. The storm had been raging. And if it's, it's not as if it let up when Jesus began walking on the water because it says in verse 32 the wind doesn't die down until Jesus and Peter get back into the boat. The text reminds us that Jesus not only controls the storm he reveals himself within it very often our purest vision of Christ comes when the storms of life threaten us especially threaten to capsize the tiny boat that we live in and our faith how many have been there okay but what happened to Peter can happen to any of us For a brief moment, he forgets about Jesus and thinks about himself and where he is. He is Peter, a Galilean fisherman who belongs back in the boat. In that instant, he looks down at his feet and he sees nothing but water. His mind comes to a quick conclusion. I'm not supposed to be walking on the water. This is crazy. When Peter goes down into the water, he prays one of the shortest prayers in the entire Bible. Lord, save me! That's usually when we scream it out, isn't it? When we're sinking. That's what happens. But sometimes a short prayer is good. Sometimes brevity is good. Sometimes we do these long and holy prayers, and Jesus is going, get to the point. The Bible says in verse 31, Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now hear me on this. Look what Christ did here. He rescued him, then he rebuked him. He rescued him, and then he corrected him. We don't do that. We shoot, we shoot our wounded. You've heard that phrase. We shoot our wounded. Do we rescue first? Do we see a brother sinking and hold out our hand? Or do we judge or sometimes ignore and let that person sink? Help me first, then correct me. Feed me, then help me find a job. Pick me up first, and if you have anything to say, Let it be helpful. Now, his words to Peter here are very important. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, in our English version, you have little faith comes out to four words. But in the Greek, Jesus used only one word, and it was little faith. Little hyphen faith. It's a title or a nickname Jesus called Peter. Little faith. Little faith, why did you doubt? He's not rebuking Peter here. For tempting too much. He's talking to him about trusting too little. Do you see the difference? Peter, if you had only kept your eyes on me, you could have walked across the Atlantic Ocean. Let me make this final observation about Peter. Give Peter credit. He was willing to do what no one else would do. Before you come too hard down too hard on Peter for taking that step out of the boat and for taking his eyes off Jesus just remember there were 11 others watching we're all going to die no one gets off this earth alive I'm 58 years old and frankly I feel it every day not that I feel old, I don't but I know I'm not 25 years old anymore. I'm twice the man I used to be. That's <laughs> <sighs> not funny. <laughs> I look at my grandkids, and I see in them not only potential, but also enormous energy. They can run circles around me without breaking a sweat. Such is the course of life for all of us. Live long enough, and you'll see a younger generation rising beneath you. A few Christmases ago, um, you're not going to be able to see this real well, but if you want to see it later, that's fine. I was given this pictured frame by my daughter at Christmas time. Th- my daughter, who is in her 30s now, this picture is of my dad holding her. And I, I, I know you can't see that back there, but just know that that's who it is. And he's an incredibly good looking guy, looks just like me. But as I, I didn't remember ever seeing this picture before, so when I got it, a a tear came to my eye. I studied it, and I was struck by the march of time. Thirty-five years have passed since this picture was taken. My dad has been gone over thirty years. My dad, me, my kids, my grandkids. I'm now the age, just about the age my dad was when he died. My daughter is now the age I was at that time. Time moves on. No one lives forever. Fathers grow old and die. Little boys don't stay little forever. Sooner or later, we all have a date with death. I want to stand until the very last breath, fully invested for Christ and his kingdom doing everything I can do to advance the, this, his cause. We hear Jesus say, come. And without hesitation, we need to take the leap of faith. Staying in the boat may be comfortable and safe, but that's not what the life of faith is all about. I saw this bumper sticker. It says, get out on a limb for Jesus. That's where all the fruit is. Don't be a branch to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Take a stand for Christ right now like you have never done before. Don't just say it. Do it. Repent as you did at first. Fall in love again. Everyone in this room, everyone including me, has an opportunity that my dad never experienced. And that's a chance to live as a Christian standing with your arms high and your heart abandoned in him in awe of all the things that he has done there's no such thing as a Sunday Christian either you are a Christian or you're not either you are serving the risen Lord or you are not are you sinking have you taken your eyes Off the one who gave you everything? Offer your heart. Your marriage, your finances, your health, your worship, your kids. Offer your whole life to him. Jesus is on the water. And he bids us come. Do we dare? In the end, who looks better? Peter who tried and sank, or the other 11 who didn't even try. Only Peter took the risk. Only Peter stood up and said, I'm coming, Lord. Before you sink, you've got to go out on the water. As long as you stay in the boat, you'll never sink. And you'll be awfully comfortable. But you'll never walk on water you pray with me? And ushers, would you come forward, please? Lord. This is a church that 90 people came forward... And are going to help with VBS. Lord, I pray that this is a church of 500 that comes forward and says, I am not going to sit in the boat anymore. I'm going to get out. I'm going to take that step of faith. And Lord, when I, if I sink, and I know I will, I know you'll be there to reach out immediately for me. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, take this offering and use it in a mighty way in Jesus' name.